0: This is the Masonic Light Podcast featuring Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris, A non stuffy somewhat humorous approach to understanding our craft. We guarantee you'll have a good time for your money back. This podcast is not endorsed or approved by the Grand Lodge or any jurisdiction. In fact, they'll probably hate it. And now, here's our host... Pete Ruggieri, and Larry Maris. Well, hey there, Larry. Welcome.
1: Hey, good morning, Pete.
2: So, uh, you got to hear our intro for the first time.
1: I thought it was fantastic. That's great.
2: He's got a whole uh, Bill Cosby thing kind of going on there. So, he's... uh, And he works cheap. He's five bucks. So, that's a...
1: (laughs) That's excellent. Nice nice
2: frugal guy. So, uh, welcome, everybody, if you're uh, listening in on this. uh, Some of you... Some of the initial fans will probably know us because we've invited a lot of our friends to to listen to this thing. Uh, But hopefully we'll make a lot of new friends as we go on.
1: That's true. As a matter of fact, uh, I think I invited the whole world to listen literally and figuratively.
2: That's right. So yeah, I guess what we want to talk about first is... um, you know, before we even talk about us, like, what are some of our expectations? You, what do you have, Larry? What are your expectations for the uh, show?
1: My expectations are extremely low, Pete. So, I mean, uh, what happens, happens pretty much. Okay.
2: Sounds, <laughs> sounds good. You can set the bar really low and we can't fail. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. So, as far as format, you know, we've had some discussions on format. And once again, I think we're not going to lock ourselves in anything. We're just going to see where it takes us since we've never, never done this before.
1: Exactly, and another thing too, one of the things I think when we initially discussed doing this was we want to try to add a little bit of humor to keep it interesting, which is why you title it Masonic Light. Uh, we want to talk some serious things about the craft, but we don't want to get too serious like some of the podcasts on Freemasonry that exist in the universe today. So we thought we'd lighten it up a little bit to make it more interesting and hopefully gain more audience.
2: Well, sounds good. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I had never listened to a podcast before, let's say a month and a half ago. And we started doing a, uh, my friends and I started doing a kind of a nonsense fun one. And then I started listening to some of the Masonic podcasts that are out there and they're amazing. They're, the guys are talented. They're smart. Um, You know, but I just think what we're going to try and do is, is maybe not have as highbrow of topics. Um we're not going to you know neither of us profess to be the the best masons in the world. Uh, we're still learning every day and just trying to keep the discussion a little lower.
1: Well, no wait a minute. I think I am one of the best in the world. So I'm sorry I disagree with you there.
2: Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um so a little bit about us. Larry, tell uh you tell tell our uh, our two listeners how um how we met.
1: Oh, we, this is an interesting thing. Uh, we both work for the phone company uh, and I'm not gonna give any free advertising out to that's who, the, who they were. And uh, you were in a class before I was and we met actually uh, at the phone company. And I actually I realized that you were a Freemason of course and you were doing, uh, going through the chairs exactly. And we got to talking one day about Freemason. You gave me a book to read, uh, Born in Blood if I'm not mistaken. I read the book and I thought, this is fantastic. And me being a former Mason in South Carolina, I had not yet transferred that membership up to the North there. And uh, you gave me the book to read and I thought to myself, you know, I have a book inside me. So I started writing and I started going back and forth with you. We sat across from each other one time. We shared ideas in between phone calls. And uh, we we shared these ideas and I, I started writing and putting, I imagine I wrote about maybe 200 pages, and I was sharing this with you, and one day I came into work, and he said, Larry, um, that book you're writing, he said, uh, a guy by the name of Dan Brown already published it, and I thought, oh, no, and I actually went and got a copy of the book, and absolutely, he stole everything I was writing about So then I had to go back and start up from the get-go, and ultimately, that's how we met, uh, talking about that, and I did finish writing the book, and it is published, and you were one of my top readers, and you actually helped me through the whole process, which I do appreciate, and I'll be a lifelong friend for that, so that's how we met.
2: Well, thank you, Larry. And as far as uh, what you said, you got started in South Carolina. That's as right. You became Master Mason. When That's was right.
1: that? Uh, that was back in 1974. So I've been a Mason now since uh, 42 years.
2: Okay. Were yeah. you in the service at the time?
1: No, no, I wasn't. Okay. No.
2: And so you just joined and you kind of just... Didn't join any other appendant bodies. You just kind of.
1: That's right. That's right. Did not join any, any appendant bodies whatsoever. It took me about 32 years to get my 32nd degree. That's, that uh, it was a long stretch. And I kind of fought that going on enough for years too, because I was a member of the South Carolina Lodge where our blue lodges down there were realistically, um, how should I say, entry grounds for the shrine. The shrine was huge in South Carolina. And we would have hundreds of members going through a year that joined the Blue Lodge, but never participated in it. And it kind of turned me off on, on a pendant bodies for quite a while.
2: So, yeah, for me, um, one of my college fraternity brothers was, uh, was a Mason. I found out at some point that he was a Mason. We were having discussion about something that I had seen on, uh, the history channel. I think it was a story about Oak Island back in, you know, 97, 98. And, He's like, well, would you like to learn more about that stuff? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And uh, next thing you know, um, you know, he told me that he was a Mason and started, tr- you know, trading conspiracy stories and things like that. Um, and I joined. So I joined back in '97, and then I was kind of like joined every single appendant body I could for no good reason. Um, kind of like Pokemon, I just had to like collect collect all all the emblems for my car. Um, but then my job took me away and I didn't get to go to meetings very often. So a couple of years later, I made two meetings in a row at my blue lodge and one of the officers came up to me and said, how'd you like to be an officer? You have really good attendance. (laughs) So, So I screwed up. I made eye contact when they were looking for volunteers. And I think Oh, they told me I was going to sit in like uh, the Percivale chair or something. Oh, it'd be like ten years before you do anything important. Yeah, four years later, I was master of the lodge because nobody else wanted to uh, advance. So, yeah, that's your your typical um, Pennsylvania Masonic story. If anybody ever asks you to volunteer, just kind of don't don't make eye contact. <laughs> um, so that's about it for us, you know, a little background on us and you'll, you'll hear more about things that we do. Um, so Larry's retired.
1: That is correct. Yes. Retired from that phone company.
2: Right. And I did not retire from that phone company, but, uh, I had enough of it <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm the, uh, I'm a scarf monger. So you'll probably hear that commercial at some point during, during this, uh, So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to take a short break in a few seconds here and we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about uh, one of our first topics of the day.
0: The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf. www.MasonicScarves.com
2: All right, welcome back. Uh, we're we're uh, back from our fake commercial. Actually, no, in this show, it's a real commercial. The other show, we have a lot of uh, bullcrap commercials about silly fake things. But this is actually going to be about uh, Larry's book and, and my scarf business. Until you folks really love the show so much, you want to buy your own advertising and be on this.
1: Ex- exactly. We're hoping for that, by the way. And incidentally, in line with that, I, I did invite uh, some brothers from England to listen to the podcast as well as Scotland uh, and and Russia, actually, have a contact there with the lodges, although they don't know that they'll be able to understand it. And uh, the brothers in Spain with the Grand Lodge of Spain actually have some some acquaintances there that hopefully this will be a worldwide listening audience. As to them buying advertising, I don't think that'll happen. That'll never happen. But anyway.
2: Well, mercenary or other motives, we can kind of waive that rule right now. So one of the things we're going to try and talk about every time we have the show is anything that is in the news and it's kind of like a hot topic uh, in the Mason world. And there's really only one issue I've seen lately that's dominating and even leaking over into the non-Masonic world. And that's some of the goings-ons in the state, in the Grand Lodges of Georgia Mm -hmm. and um, Tennessee.
1: Right, right. So.
2: You know, tell tell our listeners about that if they've been living under a rock, Larry. Oh.
1: Well, essentially, what happened is uh, two brothers in the state of Tennessee uh, were were members of a particular lodge there, and they happened to also be married to each other. They were gay and they were married legally, of course. And somehow or other, the Grand Lodge found out that they were uh, living in matrimony. And actually, since there were some bylaws on their on their on their constitution uh, that said that you cannot be of the same sex and, and living together and married together, they, they kind of kicked them out. And uh, of course, uh, basically I'm gonna go back and say, these two guys are fantastic. The one was the secretary of the Lodge and another one was very active in the Lodge. They were very active in the community. The Lodge brothers themselves, when they found out this happened, were up in arms. So the Grand Lodge got very, very testy and said, not only are we kicking them out, if you brothers of this lodge or any brothers in the state of Tennessee say anything, go in the news media or write anything, we're gonna kick you out, almost like an inquisition. And uh, so they put a lid on everything. And consequently, the state of Georgia, we found out, uh, adopted some of the same principles, but they've had theirs in effect for a number of years. Now, eventually, I have a feeling that it's going to be challenged. Uh, the state of California, uh, in this Grand Lodge has somehow or other uh, made it um, a rule that uh, we can't participate, or the people of the uh, residents, of the uh, uh, the uh,
2: the members, ma- of, the Grand Lodge ma- of, members of the Grand
1: Lodges of California and Masonic lodges throughout the state cannot visit. A lodge in Tennessee or the state of Georgia, for that matter, uh, or they can be in trouble. Yeah, I I
2: believe uh, the Washington, D.C. and Belgium Belgium and a few other places jumped on the, on the, on the bandwagon, too.
1: Exactly. But what I find interesting, too, about the whole thing, Pete, I haven't seen that much media attention to this. Uh, we know about it because we know where to look, but I don't see things. It's not in the Post. It's not in the New York Times. It's not, it doesn't well, seem Well, I to mean, me.
2: it, right, it seems like recently, unless Donald Trump says something, it doesn't make the news because <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, that's the that's first true. 20 minutes that's of the newscast. True.
1: That's true. Very true.
2: But I did see a piece on NPR about it, um, or I guess I listened to it on NPR about it, and they did a pretty good job. So, I mean, I guess the discussion is we, we're from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania... Um, has no such rules against something like that.
1: Exactly. As a matter of fact, I think most of the lodges in the United States don't have those rules. I think they're basically right. We know of right now is only two.
2: So the discussion, some of the discussions I had was, you know, especially here, I live in, we live in Lancaster City. The city of Lancaster is, uh, although the state of Pennsylvania is pretty conservative Overall, the city here in Lancaster is pretty liberal. And, you know, so even so anywhere in Pennsylvania, the discussion's been like, oh, what's going on? What are they doing? But, you know, it, it, every jurisdiction gets to make their own rules. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are having a hard time with the fact that the Grand Lodge, those Grand Lodges are making a decision that they don't like. But is it really their business or all of our business?
1: That's, that's hard to say. I mean, it's, well, it's not hard to say. It is, I think what happens here is because of the fact that we've got 50 grand lodges throughout the United States, there is no one single lodge that has overall overall jurisdiction. We have 50 different jurisdictions, and they each have their own constitution and bylaws that they all abide by. and That makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, the only way we can do anything uh, about Tennessee or Georgia, is to just say to our membership, uh, we would appreciate you're not going into their meetings, or somehow or other we're gonna we're gonna blackball them for participating in Freemasonry in our state.
2: Now, now to play kind of the devil's advocate here, Freemasonry in general is not is exclusive. There's already people that we openly discriminate against, so you cannot be a woman. Yes. And be a Freemason. That's right. You cannot be an atheist and a Freemason. That's right. So the other 48 jurisdictions already say we only want people that believe in God, our supreme being, and are a man. So we're already being, you know, um, restrictive in that way. So... You know, are they that are are those states that much more? Is it that odd that they want to go do something different?
1: Is it that odd? Again, I think it's up to the individual jurisdictions, the the state uh, grand lodges. Mm I don't like some of the things that they do. Some of those are exclusionary, particularly certain states in the South that do not recognize Prince Hall Lodges, the black lodges. They don't recognize them. There's a few of them down South. And again, not having notes here, I don't know which remember which states they were, but there's probably about five or six of them. And I think that always befuddles me, if I'm not mistaken, the state of Mississippi recognizes Prince Hall Lodges. So there's no rhyme or reason to how they go about doing that. So I mean, they are exclusionary. You can't, you can't as a as a as a white mason in those states go to a black lodge. It's forbidden.
2: Right, and here in, and, and here in Pennsylvania, in our lodges, we're members. Larry and I are members of the same Blue Lodge. In our building here in Lancaster, we have um, also Mount Horeb is a, a Prince Hall lodge that meets in our building. And those gentlemen come to our meetings. We go to their we meetings. To um, we have people of color in our lodge as members of our lodge. And I know, I don't know about Mount Hora, but I know in general in Prince Hall, I know of Caucasians that are Prince Hall Masons. So, you know, that, that's speaking something to a, uh, a higher, you know, a, a later topic. But, you know, at some point I could almost see in Pennsylvania... I'm still not sure why they have everything separate. Pennsylvania is maybe a good example because our degree work at the Blue Lodge of Pennsylvania is completely different than everybody else in the United States. But, you know, there's other other states where the degree work of their Blue Lodge and their Prince Hall Lodge are pretty much the same. That's right. That's and right. so I don't even understand why they have separate, but, you know, who knows?
1: Well, basically, I think that's a matter that they kind of prefer to have um, and, and, and again, uh, we honor them, they honor us and that's, I think that's the way it should be essentially.
2: So, I mean, that's, that's kind of been the big hot topic button. I see a lot of people always, you know, of course, all the internet tough guys on Facebook sharing, you know, all their, all their, all the different opinions. Um, what about locally? Do we have any, uh, any good local Masonic, uh, discussions going on here of things that
1: well one of the things that that uh, we're talking about it's well we we have a group that meets every thursday morning in a local restaurant and we uh, we we get together and there's probably right now an average of about 13, 13 between 13 and 15 uh, masons that show up for breakfast it's a non-masonic function we get together uh, uh, because we have a lot of fun with each other uh, sometimes there's learning, very few very little time with that, but we, we do have a great time together. And one of the topics of discussion uh, incidentally is one of the things that have one a couple of members brought up was this new logo from the United Grand Lodge of England. And uh, I brought up this morning at our pre-production meeting about the marketing research survey that the Grand Lodge of England. So uh, in, my, put in my opinion,
2: it looks like a part of the female anatomy. <laughs>
1: I think it looks like a Lance Corporal's uh, sleeve patch in the Marine Corps. I mean, I, I I do not understand the brothers in England. If you're listening to this podcast, we're not demeaning it. Uh, obviously, you have put a lot of thought into this. But let me tell you, this is definitely different. And I don't foresee any of our Grand Lodges in the United States switching over to this logo at all. So I know you're always the leaders and things, but please uh, uh, don't take this as a, as a slight to you. Uh, you did You do good work.
2: Yeah, there's a bit, I saw a little discussion on that, but you know, whatever. There, there's been so many changes over the past. We learned this from uh, some of our from the School of Instruction and the um, Academy of Masonic knowledge and things we've gone to. You know, the crafts always in in change. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the degree work. If you know, the more you you study. You know, the things we think have been here since time immemorial are not, Mm -hmm. you know, that's maybe like for the past 200 years. Yeah, 300 years ago, everything was completely different. So, um, hey, enjoy your uh, enjoy your new logo. (laughs) But I mean, I guess it was the idea of that trying to appeal to a new generation, uh, trying to appeal to new members.
1: It, that was exactly it. the marketing research survey, which is very extensive. They uh, they actually researched eighteen hundred uh, brothers in England, and they got really a great response back to it. and And it had to deal with being able to retain membership being able to attract new membership, particularly uh, brothers that are probably in the 21 to 40 age category, which uh, I think all lodges in the world are sorely wanting to attract people like that because they are the future leadership of Freemasonry. And that's pretty much what it was about. And I know here in the States, and I know here essentially in our own lodge, We, too, are looking for uh, trying to answer those questions that we have. We want to retain membership. We want to attract new people. But we we also, at the same time, have two schools of thought in Freemasonry, particularly in Pennsylvania. We have what I call the ritualists, and we have what I call the educated. Uh, Not necessarily that both the ritualists and the educated are really all educated, but there is a different school of thought there. Uh, I myself put myself in the latter category. I believe that uh, Masonic education and education of history and myth and esoteric is, is very important in our members knowing our craft much better than they do by continuing listening uh, by rote ritual, learning the, r- the ritual of lodge, which is very important, very important. But, and, and again, I equate it like if you're an Episcopalian or Lutheran, you go to church, you have your ritual. We do the same ritual every Sunday, but the sermon's different. And I say that we have to do that in our lodges in Pennsylvania. We've got to be able to bring people in that are going to make those meetings interesting and want to come back for more. And that's the big problem we have there. And that's what they found out in England. You just can't conduct the business meeting uh, the way you have in the past. You've got to make it interesting for people who want to come back. You've got to make it exciting. And that's what we're doing here in our Lancaster Lodge, and other lodges I know in the Lancaster area are starting to do the same thing, too.
2: Yeah, I see—I mean, we have kind of a—in our first Masonic district here, I see lodges um, like Quarryville that are struggling. You know, it's the same five or six brothers have been the Worshipful Master for I don't know how many cycles— I think one of our, our, our good friends, uh, brother Chris Gibson, has been master, I think, four times, if not three, maybe four times. You know, people aren't wanting to step up and take a leadership role. Uh, but I think when I go back to when I was master in 05, at the time, I was one of the youngest masters. I was 36. The gentleman that was after me was 35, and then it got down to, I think, with uh, John Brackbill. He was uh, or in his 20s. And I don't know whether it was J- JP was even younger, but we had guys like in their early, early 20s that were, you know, we had, what we were doing was, and this is kind of my, my pet peeve about Freemasonry, is when you, when you look it up in any kind of a dictionary or any kind of definition, you know, the thing that always stands out is it, it's a fraternity and to me a fraternity is a group of people that enjoy each other's company and want to hang out and do things together and there's you know so many of these older members of our lodge that they see each other once a month at the meeting repeating the same things every but in our group our breakfast group which ranges from you know 20 i think Joey Joey Joey's 20 mm-hmm. Joey Doherty all the way up to 81 for yeah, you know, so we have a huge age range at breakfast, but we enjoy hanging out with each other. That's right. You know, we've become truly become friends and we hang out. So when I was master, when we got done a uh, a practice or we got done a meeting, we'd all go out to the bar afterwards. So we'd stand there in our tuxedos and we we'd drink beers and we'd have fun. So, you know, when we went out for the Masons, it was a night out with the guys. And we we had a lot of fun, and we saw other people there at the bar that would it would stir up conversation, and people like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? You guys just leave a wedding?" Like, yeah, yeah, we left the bride standing somewhere. Then eventually, after a couple drinks, we tell them the truth, and you know, I just thought that brought some camaraderie of our officer corps, and then it also got when the newer brothers came in, they wanted to, you know hang out with us after after, and then they became better, more active brothers. Whereas, you know, I see some of these older lodges that are the failing lodges. I don't know how much friendship they have outside a lodge.
1: Yeah, I think some of the older ones, they, they, they do have a friendship, but I don't think it translates the way it does within our lodge and a lot of the other lodges I see here. I think what helps there are some of the older ones that have a membership problem that are literally dying right now. Um, they don't have what we have. And I think that has to do with the fact that we are attracting a certain amount of younger people to come in. The thing that only bothers me about it is the younger people coming in now don't really necessarily want to be be an officer. They want to help out in the lodge. They like to be guides. Uh, uh, they like to mentor, but they don't necessarily want to go through and learn the ritual and that could be a problem somewhere down along the line. But what they do wanna do is they wanna learn as much as they can. Uh, they will go to the, uh, the Academy of Masonic Knowledge, which is twice a year meeting in Elizabeth Town uh, at the Masonic uh, Village. And they go to the, um, the uh, Pennsylvania Lodge of Research. They wanna learn as much as they can. So they tend to go where scholars are located, and uh, they, they, they seem to gravitate toward that, a lot of the new members. I know three of them right now that are going that track. And again, you know, the only thing that being an old-time member like myself, what bothers me is these fellows that are coming in don't necessarily want to be an officer in the craft.
2: The, um, well, maybe here's a good time for us to discuss something that also we have in common about the Masons, is— I conned you into joining grotto a couple years ago.
1: Absolutely. You did. Best thing I ever did.
2: Okay. So, you know, and I explained to people, they asked me what is grotto and I apologize to the Supreme council, but in, in many areas, a grotto is just as boring as any other, body of Freemasonry. I've been to meetings where it's in a, in a lodge room and it's the same people or the officers and they discuss business and they leave. Well, our grotto, Ubar, which is based out of Lancaster County, is um, how should we say it? It's uh,
1: it's um, uh, it reminds me if if you if you go back in history and take a look, it reminds me of the kind of meetings that took place back in colonial times when all the various lodges met in pubs, and they would drink before, they drink during, and they drink after, and they got a lot of good work done. Obviously, the craft expanded but they had these libations that were part of everything they did. That's Grotto. We drink before, some of us sneak out and drink during, and others, uh, when the meeting is closed, we go out again and drink. But the the fact of the matter is, it's lively. It's, uh, It's a fun group to belong to. As I said, I've been a Mason for 42 years. Until I joined Grotto, I never knew an organization like this existed, but it makes it fun. And in a way, we spoof our craft. Uh, in a nice way, but we have fun with it. And
2: for the most part, and the officers at least and, and most of the members are very active masons in other bodies. That's right. And very active in very uh, the austere bodies. I mean, I don't know how many, I think one of the biggest benefactors of the grotto has been the York right, because we have so many members that are in York right. And then these, these, these younger guys come in and that's where they want to learn more. And, you know, some of the, the cooler ritual and, and to me is, is the, are the York rate degrees. So I think, I wish I had some numbers, but of people that have joined Grotto, but then have continued on to get all their York right degrees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can be silly, we could be stupid, but, you know, we have a handful of 33rd degree masons in our crew that are very, very active Um, there's at least 15 past masters in our group uh, and sitting masters. We have a very, very active group Masonically. That's right. So definitely
1: very active.
2: So this is kind of our opportunity to, to blow off some steam, have fun, but, you know, we don't we don't shirk our normal Masonic duties either.
1: Exactly, and we got a couple thirty third degrees in our in in grotto, and when you see them at consistory and they have their hats on and all their rig, regalia, and you see them and they're so straight laced and so forth, then you see them in grotto, and they're one of us. And I mean, that's what makes it so fantastic. And to me,
2: that makes it, it gets back to the whole fraternity thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's people, I'm 40, I'll be 47 probably by the time this thing, this gets released. Um, and you know, there's men that I hang out with from 21 to 85. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. And I
2: I really think they're my friends. That's right. And we also cover a little bit of a wider area. We cover about five or six counties, you know, with, with the grotto, um, You know, and I I don't find that. I don't, I'm in shrine, but I don't get that camaraderie out of our shrine. Um, So.
1: I'll give you an idea. And this is something I always kind of, I repeat to other brothers, and I think it gets a sense of what Grotto is about. We have ritual. We have initiations for new members. And we have ritual. The problem with the ritual is no one memorizes it. And they read it out of a book, which is blasphemy for Freemasonry, by the way, but not for the Grotto. We read our ritual, we open and close the meeting, we have certain things that we do. And uh, the neat thing about it's just to give you a for example. When the meeting's about to close, the monarch, who's the head grotto guy, says to the sergeant arm, sergeant arm's inform the Tyler, we're about to close the lodge. So the sergeant arm yells.
2: Well, he's well, okay.
1: Just, he just, yells just, across the room to the Tyler, we're closing the lodge. And the Tyler's okay, he's closed. <laughs> Right. So, that's what. So we're we not talking do. out
2: of school. We just kind of ad lib and play it fast right. and loose. So. That's
1: right. And then it, and I think that's what makes it perfect. That's it's a perfect organization. I love it. Actually,
2: good times. Yes,
1: good times always.
2: So we're going to take another little break here, and we're going to come back, talk a little more, and then we'll wrap up this whole thing. Cool. Thanks.
3: Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, Traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it, and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble. Plus, fine bookstores everywhere. Welcome back, everybody.
2: So Larry and I were just kind of like on the break, just discussing, since this is our first podcast ever for this, uh, what exactly we're going to do going forward. So I think one of the things we want to try and do is have, uh, have a guest if we can each week. So if anybody out there is listening, please, um, jump on our, uh, Facebook page. It's a uh, Masonic light podcast. And that's L I T E kind of like the beer, not like, uh, light, like the flashlight. And, you know, or pop onto our Facebook page and uh, send us some questions. If you have anything you'd like us to discuss or topics, please share them, share them with us and uh, and we'll be happy to talk about it. We love talking about things that we don't know about.
1: Exactly. We're, we're,
2: we're experts in everything.
1: And I guarantee you, we're going to have an opinion one way or the other, whether we know about it or not. So what do you have? You have anything uh, coming up in the Sonic World? Yeah, we do. Basically, if you're in the Lancaster area, every Thursday morning at nine o'clock, we meet at the Park City Diner. The Goose and Gridiron—that's the name of our uh, breakfast group. We've been around for ten years, and we have brothers that come in. And really, the only qualification you need to have is um, for a first or second degree Mason, Master Mason. Doesn't make any difference. Um, actually, even if you're not a Mason, you can join because we basically don't share secrets or talk about anything out of line to anybody there. And the only qualifications are if you're dyslexic or attention deficit disorder, you're going to fit right in.
2: Yeah. there's usually like 10 different discussions going on. Same time. Exactly. And, um, a couple of the older brothers are pretty hard of hearing, so it's it's, it's pretty comical. Um, yeah,
1: and we do talk about, uh, you know, wiring a house, electrician, building. We talk about all kinds of subjects, uh, including things that go on uh, outside the lodge, uh, some things inside the lodge, which are essentially not sacred. So uh, like, like you said, Pete, there's usually 10 to 15 separate conversations going on, and we have a, 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 a slow din sound in the entire room, so it it's a fun group. It really does, and...
2: So this coming Tuesday, we have a um, very special event at our Blue Lodge. Yes, we do. Mrs. Hoover is making her homemade uh, Amish-style chicken pot pie before That's our meal.
1: right. That's right. Exactly. And
2: so we, uh, we're lucky enough here that uh, one of our brothers, his uh, his wife, is a very good cook. And since she, um, when I was master, if we had any kind of refreshments, it was after the meeting, it was something horrible. It was something like out of a can, or like egg and olive sandwiches. So it was—it was gross. It was really gross. So, but but recently the masters have hired Mrs. Hoover, and she actually puts on a meal, a nice meal before the meeting. So we're gonna have, and this is a—if you're not from the area, chicken pot pie is not like what you have in um, from Swanson.
1: I think south they call it chicken and dumplings. Is some somewhat similar to that.
2: Okay, so we have that, um, and gentleman from our lodge will be giving a, a talk on on tuesday
1: uh ron ron schwartz yeah exactly he's going to be actually which what's unique about ron he's been a member for about i say a little over a year now and uh he's a professor at steven's tech steven's uh technical college here in lancaster he's a young man he's about 40 some as a matter of fact I uh, don't know exactly what his age is and he's a very gifted speaker and uh He's going to be kind of what we talked about with the United Grand Lodge of England today. He's going to be talking about why he joined as a younger person, what he expects to get out of it. And it's, it's that approach he's going to take, which I think is going to make for an interesting, interesting uh, education topic at Lodge meeting on Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to him doing that.
2: And then the, uh, the Thursday, uh, a friend, of, a college friend of mine, uh, Rob, is going to be getting his third degree in Freemasonry, that's right. So hopefully, I'll see you there. We're going to be there for that, um, uh, for his degree, and then let's speed up till Saturday. So I, I'm the uh, I'm the current sitting monarch of the Ubar Grotto, and there's a bunch of us idiots that are going on a eight night Caribbean cruise out of Baltimore. So if we can get out of Baltimore without getting shot or stabbed, we're hoping to uh, have some hijinks on the high seas. It's going to be, uh, we actually, we're, we're going to have a past right worshipful Grand Master of Masons of Pennsylvania on our cruise with us. Really? He's not officially a grotto guy, but I think we're, we're kind of making him an honorary grotto. Sam Williamson's past okay, right worshipful. Okay, yeah. So he'll be there um, on our cruise just trying to maybe to try to keep us in line from uh, getting too crazy.
1: Um, He's been to our meetings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, and then he knows
1: it's a hopeless cause.
2: It's hopeless. <laughs> so sometime after that, we'll have uh, we'll probably have our next podcast, and we'll talk a little bit about the shenanigans that we've gotten into, and um, and then hopefully we'll also have a bunch of good, cool topics that you sent us, and we'll have a. a it's well, only it's only up up from here. It's going to be better from here.
1: One of our uh, brothers in our home lodge. Uh, made a request. Uh, He wanted to bring his topic up for breakfast one day, but actually I think it's so good of a topic that we need to consider putting it in uh, for our next podcast, and that would be the the very fact that Freemasonry's impact on the Mormon religion. Uh, And I think that would be a great topic because there are so many things that the Mormon Church does that they have actually adapted from Freemasonry. Uh, their founder, Joseph Smith, and uh, Brigham Young were brothers in uh, in the Lodge in Illinois. And of course, Smith came out of New York State. Uh, and there's a very interesting parallels there. It's Really uncanny, as I've done research on and realize that there's such a strong influence in everything the church does out there today in, in Salt Lake. And the churches, uh, the Latter-day Saint uh, uh, temples throughout the United States, there's so many strong similarities, including the layout of some of the rooms that they have in their temples. It's unbelievable.
2: Well, cool. sounds like a good time. It should be a great so topic. I, so I actually. guess I, have a, since I really know nothing about this topic. I guess I have to do some uh, studying on my cruise so I can— <laughs> Or I can just be a dummy and still have a strong opinion on it, even though I know nothing, which is typically how us men are.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: Well, folks, thank you for joining us on our very first podcast. Uh, Larry, thank you for being my co-host. And uh, we hope to see all of you in, I hate to say next week, but it might not be a week. It might be two weeks. So we'll see you uh, on our next podcast. Thank you much. Hey,
1: goodbye. Good night. Thank you, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are.